Hour number two kicking off. Going to be a fun hour. Going to talk some Tennessee baseball coming up next segment. Going to do some RTI read and react with Ryan Shumpert. Coming up at 8.35-ish. But for now, let's find out some other things we might have missed from the weekend. Sam, what do you got? Thanks, John. You're welcome. We got a little postponed Daytona 500 running today, this afternoon. Uh, Daytona. Been having some trouble with the rain in the last couple of years, right, Bob? Yeah. And I'm not a huge NASCAR guy. I know there's a lot of NASCAR fans maybe listening, but i got to say, having the option to have a little sports to watch on a Monday afternoon is not a bad deal. Yeah, yeah. You got it at 4 o'clock Eastern time today. Uh, it was originally scheduled to run right after just about 3 o'clock yesterday, but rain has been uh, in the area down in Florida. So it's going to be running this afternoon um yeah i'm, I'm kind of with you bob i kind of like when some things get rained out sometimes and you get a little bit of a a little bit of a teaser into some college basketball you know you'll just run right into everything tonight but you'll get the rerun of of daytona this afternoon at four o'clock three straight years of of bad re- of bad weather is that correct that sounds about right yeah it's got to be horrible i think we talked about that a few weeks back i experienced it with indy 500 man it's it's glorious if the weather's nice, but if it's raining, it just sucks. It screws up your schedule, your plans, everything. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, from a TV perspective, there's a much higher chance that I turn on the, the last 30 minutes or so on a Monday as yeah. I'm getting home and getting set for dinner and, and you know, just in front of the TV and, and winding down. There was probably a 0% chance that would have happened yesterday as I was binge-watching TV. Shout out to Donald Glover. But from a fan standpoint of, like, people there that made a weekend of it that probably wanted to be back for work today, wanted to pack up the RV and head up, you know, <laughs> north or wherever they're, he- yeah. wherever they're headed, tough for them. Yeah. Tough for them. Uh, here we go into the NBA All-Star Weekend. Had a jam-packed event. Uh, up in Indianapolis. That's one way to describe it. Jam packed. <laughs> you had the, uh, I, I think the story of the weekend was probably that Steph Curry, Sabrina Ionescu three point contest. You know, we've been talking about it. The slam dunk contest just feels, just feels dead. I mean, you, you even saw Mac McClung like bring out a dunk that nobody has seen in the last couple of years and it seemed like nobody even cared still. It was cool. It was cool. It was a good dunk. The, the, you know, I, I thought Mac McClung, I mean, he, he still had good dunks. You know, I thought him jumping over Shaq and legit jumping over him. You know, yeah. Jaime Jaquez, your boy, jumped over Shaq with air quotes around it as he, you know, took and pushed push off down. his yep. shoulder. Mac legit cleared him. You know, Shaq was tilting his head or bowing his head a little bit, but he, he jumped over him and didn't put his hands on him. And threw an alley-oop to himself in the middle of the air which was pretty cool. You know, got the ball, tossed it to himself, caught it, and dunked it. That was a cool dunk. But, yeah, the Jalen Brown glove dunk, <laughs> uh, that was that was bad. It was bad. But it was like the judges almost, like, tried to manufacture a perfect 50 to win as a walk-off. Oh, I don't know. It, it, was, it was bad. It was bad. The three-point shootout was, again, the most consistent part of the night just because you actually have the stars there. Watching Dame Lillard, who I don't really like anymore, but watching him come through and and beat Trey Young, it, it was it was dramatic. And then yeah, the Steph Curry 
Ionescu. Like I thought that was kind of riveting. Yeah. You know, I, I thought for a second when she came out and hit like nine of her first ten or whatever it was, I was like, oh my god, she's about to put on a show, and then. She kind of ran out of steam a little bit, and then Curry, you know, able to knock her off. But then that got kind of tainted by Reggie Miller and, and Kenny Smith and, like, them arguing about dolls and where she should shoot from and all those things. Like, I don't know. That was – I liked that she went from the men's three-point line. Sure. I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, like, I just thought their commentary around it was weird. Yeah, I agree. Kenny's in particular. Um, yeah, he's gotten a lot of heat for that. Um, I, a couple of couple of quick observations on the dunk contest. You know what I, what bothers me is, <laughs> it looks like they're having trouble getting judges, because they had two guys, and I know them because I'm from Indiana and I'm a Pacer fan. But they had Fred Jones, who I think was one of the finalists in the dunk contest, like back in the early 2000s. Uh, played for the Pacers for like a minute. Uh, and then Darnell Hillman, who played for the Pacers in the late 70s. And it's like – Was got, he a dunk contest guy? He was a dunk contest okay. guy. Yeah, he was almost 50 years ago. You know, and it's like I, I just – and they're the ones judging Mac McClung. And I, I, I just think it's, it's flawed in a lot of ways, man. And it just seems to me, just by the way of getting those kind of judges – and those kind of participants, nobody cares, man. That's that's the that's the undertone of all that. Well, you saw, you know, kind of the reason nobody cares because Jalen Brown did try. You know, he is not a superstar, but he's an all star. He's a legit all star, and he's on a very good team, and he's at least got name value. And and people are clowning him, and it's it's a it's a no win proposition for stars. Almost, I guess, I guess I can't say no way because if somebody came out and absolutely like lit the world on fire and brought the dunk contest back, it would be, you know, equivalent to like leading the Knicks to a championship or leading the Browns or Bills to a championship. And you get the credit for, wow, you're the guy who did this unthinkable thing because it does seem above saving. And, and you know, if you are an actual superstar and come out and do some superstar dunks, maybe, maybe you could get some credit for it. But, it seems like a mostly thankless job to be a judge who can get made fun of for the way you judge or to be a participant and, and to try and people will be like, ah, who cares? For how unserious the actual All-Star game feels now, like what if they just put the dunk contest in the actual game and made it like the best in-game dunk? It would be a similar thing because I was going to say the, the All-Star weekend in general, every time we come out of it, we're like, hey, it's broken. It sucks. It sucks. Like the All-Star game sucked. Like I was – I don't mind it in the same level, like to the same level as some people do. Like David Aldridge is online mad about it, saying they need to just cancel it and scrap it because this generation thinks even playing minimal defense is beyond them. Get 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 rid of it. Like there's a part of me that likes the hey, I'll just see if you can hit some half court shots. Hey, here you go, Dame Lillard. But it was like 48 minutes of that, and it's just it, it's it, he called it dreadful, and like that is kind of the way to describe it. Like. The only thing it's good for is if you're trying to bet on some over-unders and you're trying to just take the overs because you know there's going to be 200 points scored and and no one's going to play defense and it's going to be a layup line and just shoot some open threes. But outside of that, it was a terrible TV product. Yeah, I only had fun rooting for your for your three-pointers made, John. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was an easy sweat, too. It was over, basically. Yeah, <laughs> I was explaining to my roommates, I was like, well – the host of my show is saying that he might not come to work if we don't get a couple threes made, and then Halliburton just goes crazy. He hit five in a row. I was like, well, glad I don't have to worry about that. Glad that was good. 
They shot 168 three-pointers last night is. between the teams. There were three fouls. There were yeah. three fouls. I mean, it's like Scott Van Pelt said it on X. You know, he goes, it's really simple. If you don't care, why do we? You know, it's that's that's the problem. Gambling. Right? Yeah, no, no doubt. How about Luca's dunk attempt? Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he, he got one dunk down, and then he tried to follow it up with the alley-oop to himself <laughs> off the backboard and – and then they do the whole, you know, laugh and, you know, like they're, you know, like, man, that bother me. But it's like, why do you think everybody else thinks that's great? You know, it's <laughs> like, that's not. I will say the only the only person that I give any credit to is Jokic because there was a couple of times he looked legit mad. There was a time Bam Adebayo threw the ball off his back on an inbound, then dribbled it all the way down. He hit a three and like Jokic is chasing him like a, like a villain. Like, and then like, he's like playing to the ref. That was the most defense he had played all season. Yeah. Well, well, no, the, the second most defense he played was at the end. Whenever they're trying to do their half court shootout, he just dribbles the clock out. And like, everyone's like, Halliburton's like, come and try to get the ball from him. He's like, no, no, I'm not giving it back to you. Like Halbert wanted to throw up like a three quarters court. Throw. He's like, nope, not doing it. And then he mimicked a, a dunk attempt at the end. Uh, it, it was stupid. It, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, tough, uh, tough weekend. Next headline. Uh, big winner at the Genesis Invitational, Hideki Matsuyama, comes flying from behind. Six shots back in the final round, shoots a final round, nine under, 62, to take it away from Patrick Cantlay. Unbelievable performance from Hideki. Uh, birdies the first three holes. Pars out for the rest of that front nine and then shoots six under on the back nine, uh, 15 and 16. He had two tee shots, basically, or two shot, two iron shots that combined like a foot away from the hole. He hit it to like six inches and then seven inches. He wasn't going display. away. No, doesn't go away. No, I said he won it going away. He, he won yeah. by three strokes. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't close. Yeah. It wasn't even close. Yeah, I remember I told you in my one and done pool I had Cantlay this week and was <sighs> feeling good. And- yeah. It's hard. We said it also. It's hard to win wire to wire. And, man, did he melt down yesterday. Shot one over in the final round. So I got him out of the way. That's the way I look at it. I <laughs> yeah. don't have to there use him go. again. Bastard. Will Zalatoris, another guy who was uh, coming off of injury, you know, basically missed all of last season with uh, some problems with, like, some slipped discs in his back, I think. He's back and healthy. Uh, he looked amazing. Thought that he was going to win it there for a second, yeah. honestly. But then Hideki just obviously with that strong back nine performance. But, yeah, it was uh, after we had been talking about kind of a, a slow start to the golf season, I think, for the PGA Tour and not having maybe some top names going at it. I think you you finally got that at, at the Genesis. You got Hideki, Zalatoris, Cantlay, Shoffley, all these guys kind of bunched at the top there. Also, they say, and Sam, you may know this better than I, that this course plays – somewhat similarly i mean it's you know augusta's one of one but still that riviera's got some similarities and the fact that matsuyama has won the masters and won this it might shape up well for him in april 100 percent, yeah and and hideki's really been struggling he's been he's kind of had some injuries as well and i think he had he had gone like 20 straight or something like that without a without a top 10 finish or something like that so yeah good for him to get back into the into the winner's circle it's a guy that He's got an impressive resume, won the Waste Management, uh, obviously has won the Masters, and now Memorial, and then here at Riviera. So he's won at some big places. A cool $4 million paycheck for him. Yeah. Yep. Elevated, man. Yeah, Lots at, of money. At some at some point on Sunday, I don't know exactly the moment or if it was before the round or maybe heading into the back nine, I don't know, but I, he was plus 9,500 yeah. to, to win the, 
to win the tournament. Crazy, crazy. Maybe that was, I guess, heading into Sunday. Probably, yeah. Heading into the day, if yeah. I was guessing. Six shots back, yeah. yeah. Um, lastly here, St. John's and Rick Pitino are just collapsing. Uh, eight losses in their last ten, and Rick Pitino's post-game press conference is just continue to be can't-miss TV. Said this has been the uh, most unenjoyable experience I've had ever since I've been coaching. <laughs> wow, blew and a nineteen-point lead, and he went to Greece and was you know <laughs> coaching recently in like a smoke-filled auditorium with fireworks going off. Yeah, he said if I if I said I was disappointed, that would be the understatement of the year. Our lateral quickness and our toughness is just something that I've never witnessed in all of my years of coaching. And this is this is his team that he picked. <laughs> yeah, basically he ran everybody off. Well, <laughs> those guys are probably losers too, but like, yeah. I, I gotta say, just watching the way the seasons like kind of shook out, anybody dumb enough to to try to tell me to take UConn and St. John's to watch those two teams play and to take St. John's <laughs> in that game, yeah. Anybody dumb enough for me to listen to that advice? Uh, maybe the blame is on me. Although the game was kind of close, but it does feel like they kind of broke St. John's. And also, last four games, Chris Ledlam, anybody who's doing that whole, you know, we, we gave up Ledlam to get Josiah back. He's averaging six points a game and, you know, about five rebounds a game. So it's not like he's lighting it up by any stretch. Did his so, players sit next to him at the press conferences, or is it just him and then the players? I'm going to guess it's just him. But, yeah, that, that does make you wonder how it feels to go back in that locker room. Yeah. Like, this is the worst experience of your life? Okay. We are so non-athletic that we can't guard anybody without fouling, and it's really not about losing. Even winning, when I watch the film, I see unathletic <laughs> plays. I see people that don't handle the ball that are just uninterested in taking bad – or interested in taking bad quick shots. It's been a disappointing year. He, well, makes, he makes Pat Narduzzi sound yeah. like Jimmy Dykes, man. Yeah. I mean, th this is – Narduzzi's stuff was nothing now, the way he ripped his team. God. That's well, it's funny that he's talking about the unathleticism because you talk about Chris Ledlam. I mean, he is a fat, unathletic player, mm -hmm. and he's one of their their key guys. And I'm, I'm sure Rick Pacino watches that and is like, oh, my God, this slob. <laughs> uh, yes. yes. We'll talk Tennessee baseball's opening weekend after the break. Stick with us. Go download the new Fan Run Radio app. Take us on the go. You can listen to your podcast right there live in the app. Well, not live in the app because podcasts by definition are recorded, but you know what I mean. You can live stream us in the app. You can do that and then listen to recorded podcasts. Get your news right there inside the app, the new Fan Run Radio app. Go download it. Tennessee baseball got their season started. A 2 and one Championship performance. Apparently, we won the Shiners Classic after winning last night. Two and one. One Friday. Lost in extra innings on Saturday. And then one last night, the final game of the tournament. All right, Sam, give me your takeaways. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was a great start to the year for you. Um, you, you had, obviously, you started out with a – a really strong performance from A.J. Russell on Friday night. He gave you some some unbelievable uh, starting action. You know, obviously huge, 
in terms of that movement on that fastball looked unbelievable, had some nasty stuff, uh, striking out just about everyone he was facing. And then you got A.J. Causey, uh, the transfer that you brought in, coming in after that. He also strikes out seven. You get 17 combined strikeouts in that first game. So 17 um, strikeouts out of 27 out. So Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's a pretty good percentage. Yeah. A.J. Russell struck out 10 of his 13 outs. And then, yeah, Kazi struck out seven of his 11 outs. I believe is that how the math on that works. Is that right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We've got the best pitchers named A.J. in the country. We now. do. The best A.J. duo you can think of. I hope we get a couple games where we can just go A.J. to A.J. and finish it out. Seven of his 14, I guess would be the math. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that first game was great. You, you saw that pitching and, and kind of just being able to, you know, the ability to really only throw two guys in a night. And then I think you saw – in that in the uh, Oklahoma game, you know, I think it was a little bit tougher. He didn't get the bats going as much, um, and, and that one goes into extra innings. I think Oklahoma they they pitched a true freshman uh, that gave him I think about ninety pitches in that game. A really impressive outing for him. Kind of just you know one of those that you tip the cap, and some days you don't have your best stuff. Um, but I thought you had a, a really great response last night. Uh, power was on display all night long, and I think it was on display all weekend. You really saw it. Uh, you know, transfer Billy Amick, he was huge. You got Kavaris Tears, a guy that Kirby, you know, talked about as kind of a breakout guy on this roster uh, so far this year, and, and Dylan Dryling also, a guy that was really flashing the bat as well. So I think there's a ton to take away from this weekend. Yeah, let's start with A.J. Russell because I thought his stuff was electric. You know, I don't know – what type of stamina he'll have this year. You know, that was kind of a, a talking point we had, you know, on Friday when we were previewing the season because going into this opener, you know, he hadn't pitched in a game longer than, what, three and a third, I believe was his career, longest outing. Mm -hmm. You knew they weren't going to, like, really push him and stretch him out, you know, early in the season. He came out, he, he eclipsed that career best. He threw four and a third. But I thought just the actual stuff, like the fastball, the tail, the movement on the fastball, the sinker. I believe the broadcast said he threw a 94-mile-an-hour sinker, which seems kind of crazy. The changeup looked good. I I thought, or at least it looked like a changeup on the highlights, so I don't know exactly if it was, but it looked like a changeup. So if it wasn't, don't, don't scream at me and call me <laughs> a, an idiot, but it, it looked like one. But I thought his stuff looked really good. You know, the – there was a nice video put together, just all 17 strikeouts. I thought both AJs pitched really well. The offense, you know, Billy Amick, guy's a stud. That was a – what a blast, man, that home run. Both of them. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he, that opposite field home run that he hit in the first game. Yes. Shows that yeah. power. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously a, a second – Second second deck shot there uh, last night. Unbelievable power from him. Guy's a stud. Christian Moore was a stud this weekend Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. They couldn't get him out. On base percentage of fifty six percent coming out of the weekend, he was he was really good. I thought Dryling showing some pop. I, I will say that like. I don't come out of this weekend feeling better about the person I had the biggest questions about when it came to the lineup. And that's like what you do with Blake Burke. You know, we talked about him kind of being at the top of the lineup. I feel like is not the right spot 
you know, Tony had him bat batting second. That seems like something that changes. Not going to, like, panic too much after, you know, just an opening weekend, but the plate, the plate discipline didn't seem to be a big point of emphasis for him this offseason. It wasn't like you came back and you, you had a new patient approach at the plate. Yeah. And that was a little disappointing. And, I, you know, that, that kind of was the reason in general why you lost game two. The, the lineup wasn't there. Sam, you uh, you talked a little bit about tears, and we were all talking about big expectations for him. One of the things that surprised me, and I guess, again, as I continue to familiarize myself with him and parts of this year's team, is I saw him running the bases, and he was, I guess, faster than I thought, too. Yeah. I just thought he was a, you know, jack dude that's going to hit like hell but you know he, he also I mean he's an athlete for sure absolutely sometimes they don't you know when you play right field it's not always the case but uh but he's he looks different yeah they've they've definitely been talking about his athleticism I think he's a guy that I want to say he played quarterback I think in high school so definitely an athlete uh, but yeah they've been talking about his speed as kind of being an underrated element also a huge arm kind of in right field so I think that's a guy that they're hoping to be able to take over that right field spot and, and you know, kind of take grab of that and, and be able to hold hold that all season. And I think you'll be able to have a, a lethal outfield if he's kind of in that right field spot all year with Dryling. Inslee made some great plays defensively in center field, I thought. And then, yeah, Tars, uh, Tears in right field, I think, will be an unbelievable trio. Tears looks like a big leaguer. You know, yeah. I don't know if the talent's there in terms of at the plate, like if he can be consistent enough. to, But, like, the tools are all there. Like, he looks like a big leaguer. He runs like a big leaguer. You know, he's, he's a guy that looks like he can do it all. But, yeah, I thought the defense in general, Sam, I thought that was a big part of the weekend. Mm -hmm. I, I thought the defense was really, really good. And that's something that's, you know, kind of struggled a little bit at times. The last couple of years, you seem very sure in the field. You know, the the range in center field that saved the game last night from getting out of hand early. You know, the diving catch that Inslee made was, was really, really good. I think some that's something that can kind of be lackluster at the start of a year, too. You sure. Know, guys are just kind of getting into the swing of things and kind of knocking some of that offseason rust off. So I think, yeah, it's a great – it's a great sign that you're on point defensively and that you're able to make some big plays and, and support that pitching staff. I thought Nate Sneed last night when he came in after Seacrest gave you some unbelievable innings. Uh, and, and credit to Vitello and that staff for kind of letting him weather through the storm a little bit. In his first inning, he was real shaky. I think he had nine straight balls that he threw maybe. And yeah. then, uh, you know, went out there for another two or three innings after that and, and really had some good stuff. Yeah, I got to say that – if we're looking for causes for concern, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's the answer as your third starter. I don't know. I think I think you'll definitely see him get a chance in in some midweek games or maybe just some action here where you're playing, you know, not as great competition for the next. Yeah, couple I mean, of weeks. you're you know for the next month, you know, you're you're starting, you know, like Bowling Green, you got Albany this this weekend, Bowling Green, Illinois. You know, you got three little tune-up series. But, like, yeah, just – I just don't know. I, I don't think – well, if he is your Sunday starter, then you're going to have to, like, score a bunch of runs on Sunday. It's, it's just how I felt after one game. Now, you know, maybe that's a, a harsh reaction. 
maybe that's an overreaction. Maybe he can settle down. And, he had four know. straight scoreless innings after that, after his tough start. Well, yeah. like 70, 80 pitches too. Well, yeah, but I, I understand how baseball works in terms of your defense does pick you up, but if Inslee doesn't make like a, a web gem out there, he might get ran in the first inning. Now, I do give him credit for settling down, so I, I understand that. But, like, that that gave me a little worry. Sam, what did you think of Stamos? I mean, it felt like he was kind of locked down the last couple of yeah. innings, right? Yeah, Stamos is great. That's a guy that they're kind of, I think, expecting to be a, a veteran guy that can kind of just slot in at any point in the game and come in in some high-leverage spots. That triple play was obviously yeah. awesome and got you out of a, a tough spot there with him. So, yeah, I think they're expecting Stamos to kind of be a guy that is willing to take the call kind of whenever in, in any type of situation, whether you got the lead or whether you're kind of coming from behind as well. Uncle Chrissy. Uncle Chrissy. <laughs> Sam got me fired up, man, with his posts last night on X. He's, uh, you're all in on baseball. I I, yeah, I'm all in on this baseball team. I'm excited about him. No, yeah, yeah. This team, I thought, again, the defense to me may be the biggest takeaway from the opening weekend. You know, combined with Russell's movement and, and Causey's movement I, I thought both of those guys you know the stars of game one I thought Billy Amick looked like an all-american at the plate but also like I thought he made a couple plays at third bla- third base that 100 he just he just made look simple yeah that weren't routine plays yeah I, do you at this point did Christian Moore do anything that makes you think hey maybe he could play shortstop for the full season I it, thought he had a couple of nice defensive plays, too. Yeah, I think that will be an interesting spot. And, you know, I mean, I, I thought that the guys that were kind of asked to play that second field ro- role, too, or second base role, were were pretty solid as well. I think you might, you know, lack a little bit in terms of hitting at that spot. But when you've got eight other really strong bats, you know, maybe you just kind of take a little bit of defense for some offense, you know. Who knows? I think you'll see a lot of rotation early on in the in the season at that spot, See what see what works and what doesn't. Coming out of the weekend, Tennessee, just keep an eye on this and and how it fluctuates throughout the season. But right now, Tennessee, plus 1,900, 19-1 to to win the College World Series. That's good for seventh best odds. Get it while you can. Top seven team. So I'm excited to see the boys get out this week and play. Yeah. Get back to Knoxville. Because I do think, like, you know, playing in that big league ballpark probably cost you a couple home runs, too. Yeah, you had some hard-hit balls that – Kavar's tears last night almost had another another one that was just smoked. You yeah. Know, like 409 to dead center, the deepest part of the park that just right. didn't go out. So Yeah, that, that's that's obviously gone yeah. inside of Lindsey Nelson. Yeah, yeah. Promising weekend for sure. The pop in the offense was there. And in game two, like, I mean, you didn't come up with timely hits. And that was frustrating. You scored one run, I believe, with 13 base runners. Yeah, you definitely left some guys on base, 100%. And Vitello, after the game, was like, hey, yeah, it's frustrating to have a bunch of guys left on base, but you got to have guys on base to leave them there. So, you know, it's like we got we, we manufactured some some base runners, so that's something to take away from it. But, like, hey, you know, we got a lot of guys playing in different positions and getting, you know, a, their first chances, especially here at Tennessee. And they got to learn, and, you know, they'll be better. Keep in mind, didn't we start SEC play last year like 0-5? Yeah, we had a slow start to the year for sure. I believe we were 0-5 in SEC play, I believe. We ended up being just fine. So, like, the people that didn't learn their lesson from last year that were panicking online after uh, losing an extra innings game, 
was was quite amazing. And I was like, is it Saturday night? Have they been, have they been in the White Claw? Or are they just like living and dying? Do they think this is football? Like, and I'm not one to fan police. Like, meltdown. It's fine. It's funny. I enjoy watching it. I'm not gonna do it. We all we all said two and one would be just fine. For oh yeah, this, right. Yeah. I mean, sure. That's, that's what it ended up. I mean, it, it was an ugly loss in the sense of like, yeah, you couldn't get a hit, but like watching people melt down on this team after what we did last year and how we ended up in Omaha after that was just kind of remarkable to me. <laughs> the final score of your loss too felt a whole lot closer than five to one too. Well, like, if you lost watching, in extras, yeah, but like you had chances in extras to win that game too. Like I, yeah. I think that there was. Plenty of, of things to take away more than positively than negatively. From yeah, five to one's ugly, but if you lost two to one in the ninth inning, like, I mean, you won't, you don't feel bad. You're like, oh, pitching duel, you're on the wrong side of it. Exactly. They explode, they score runs and extras, but like, leaving the runners on base, I get it. It's ugly, but the meltdowns, crazy to me. We'll read and react with Ryan Schumpert, Rocky Top Insider, coming up after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Are you ready to play hard? All right, let's bring on Ryan Shumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. Ryan, happy Monday to you, my friend. Happy Monday, you guys. Glad to, glad to be back on. Where do you want to start? What's the biggest story to you when it comes to Tennessee athletics right now? Is it the basketball team's dismantling of Jerry Stackhouse and Vanderbilt, or is it the first opening weekend of Tennessee baseball? Where's your mind at right now? It was probably closer with baseball, which is, you know, hard to say in February. I'd almost always say basketball, but, you know, Vanderbilt was just so hapless this weekend that I think my, my takeaways uh, in mine were more on, on the baseball team and their solid weekend in Texas. All right, give me your biggest overreaction. Mine is A.J. Russell's stuff is better than Drew Beam's stuff and that Billy Amick is an All-American. I don't feel like either one of those are too hot of takes. No, I don't think either of them are, you know, overreactions. Billy Amick was a, a near All-American last year at Clemson, and A.J. Russell, I think his stuff is definitively better than Drew Beam. Now can he be a more consistent, better pitcher over the course of a full season? That'll, you know, we'll wait to see that. But it became readily apparent why A.J. Russell was starting on Friday night, and that's the fact that his his ceiling, uh, even this season, not just in the long term, is higher than Drew Beam. and. You knew that. You knew his stuff was really good. Um, obviously, he was just dominant when he did pitch last year as a freshman, but only about 30, 30 innings and not necessarily a whole lot of high leverage innings. Um, but for him to come out, and again, it's just one start, but, man, he was really, really good on Friday night against Texas Tech. And when you start to look at this Tennessee team and their questions predominantly being around the pitching staff, if you have one other starter that you feel really good about, uh, with Drew Beam, I think you have uh, enough confidence that Tennessee will be able to fit, and Frank Anderson will be able to figure out the rest. Yeah, I was wondering about how you felt about Xander's first start, or you know, his first Sunday start in the, in this role. Rough at the beginning, but then settled down after an amazing catch in the outfield by Hunter Ensley. Do you see him kind of holding on to that third spot over the next month as we get into SEC play, or do you think we're going to see a different? starting pitcher this upcoming Sunday and give someone else a chance? I think, you know, we may see Xander for one more weekend, but I think we're going to see a couple different guys starting that Sunday spot before we get to SEC play. And, you know, I would have probably said that unless Xander was just absolutely fantastic. You know, I feel like Tennessee 
wasn't completely set in stone on Xander being that Sunday guy. They wanted to try multiple guys out. And then the, the other thing that I'll point to is Tennessee plays, I can't remember what week it is, but sometime here in the midweek before SEC plays against, they play Kansas State. And I, I imagine that's another game that they'll kind of treat like a Sunday game where they'll, they'll give someone an opportunity and ask them to get two times through the order. And I think that's really what they're going to be looking for uh, from that starter. I don't think they're – they don't have a, a – a Drew Beam type of third starter this year where someone you're going to feel really good about. I think it's going to be kind of more like Will Heflin was in 21 uh, where they're trying to find someone that can get four or five innings two times through the lineup, you know, give up two or three runs or less. And uh, they have a couple options. I'm sure we'll probably see Xander again in that role. He'll get another opportunity, um, but certainly he didn't inspire a, a ton of confidence in his first start that, again, wasn't awful, uh, but just wasn't great either. You talked about the 2021 season. I know you're talking about Heflin as kind of that first guy or, you know, a guy that you kind of had to piece together behind after the bullpen. And, you know, he's only going to give you a certain amount of innings. But the offense, of course, was the story of that 2021 team. It feels like the 2024 version, the offense is going to be pretty good and pretty stacked as well. It really does. And, you know, that was the thing that, it was pretty clear Tennessee made an emphasis of immediately in the transfer portal you know, to go out and get Billy Amick and Tannen Peebles and even Ryan Galaney, who ended up going to the MLB, would have been another guy that would have been in this lineup. And it's just it's night and day better than the offense was last year, where it really felt like Tennessee was reliant on a couple bats and they needed a couple guys to be having good weekends, or they were going to have to very much be piecing together stuff offensively. And I think this is going to be much more like 21 much more like 22 uh, from an offensive standpoint. I think that middle of the lineup is going to be really, really good. And, you know, you have guys in the back of the lineup too, um, whether it's Kavaris Tears or Dylan Dryling, uh, a couple guys that have been solid bench bats for you. And it feels like in their second or third year in the program, they're really going to be breakout players and really consistent performers. And that's kind of been the staple of the Tony Vitello era, guys that have waited their turn and been really good. And I thought both those guys who I've been high on entering the season had really nice opening weekends. Hey, Ryan, jumping to basketball, we, we'll we talk a little bit about Vanderbilt here in a moment, but there, were, there was a lot of good there, but, you know, it, it was just a beat down. There's only so much we can analyze there. So the, the question I want to pose to you is more about um, – a piece that you actually wrote about Tennessee's chances for the conference championship, because we talked about this earlier in the show today. And uh, it feels like with South Carolina, it's like maybe now we know a little more about South Carolina after this week. Um, you know, they pretty, pretty catastrophic week for them. Um, and so as you put here, you know, there's, there's more and more shape to it looking like it's a, a Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, race to the top although we're still going to be waiting to hear what Auburn has to say I don't they haven't given any news back on Jalen Williams have they I think it came out that he'll be back at some point it wasn't season ending but no no direct timeline okay but just curious from your take too I mean obviously the game in Tuscaloosa on March 2nd looms large for Tennessee but beyond that too there's some teams that well, John had noted Florida's playing great basketball. They're starting to climb. Kentucky looked like what we thought Kentucky should look like the way they played Saturday night. Um, not necessarily for winning the SEC conference title, but just, you know, SEC conference tournament, et cetera. Do we have to start paying closer attention to them? I definitely think about that Kentucky game in Knoxville. It's going to be interesting. That one's going to be a war. 
Definitely, and, you know, it's with Kentucky, it's not necessarily, like you alluded to, that they're going to really become a big factor in the SEC regular season race, but they become a big impact as Tennessee plays them to conclude the regular season. Alabama heads the, the Lexington on Saturday, so, you know, those, both of those games look, I think, a lot harder than they maybe did a week ago, and uh, that's kind of the same thing with Florida. I mean, Alabama still has Florida twice. I think they played them in Tuscaloosa this week and then go to Gainesville the last week of the regular season, so... Auburn, it feels like, probably won't drop another one besides, you know, potentially at Tennessee, uh, which would put them, you know, at 14-4, and four, I believe. Um, so it feels like a three-team race. Really, Tennessee and Alabama, I think, are the two most likely. Auburn can maybe uh, get a split if things fall their way. But uh, like you said, that, that game in Tuscaloosa looms large. That feels like a big one. And uh, you still feel like Tennessee will hold serve at home, uh, even though they lost that South Carolina game, even though Kentucky's playing better. I just don't feel like Auburn has the guards to come into Knoxville and win, and I feel like Tennessee will still be able to take care of Kentucky. So you kind of, if Tennessee can take care of business this week, which I anticipate they will, you kind of circle those those back-to-back games at Alabama and South Carolina, and certainly South Carolina is coming back down to earth a little bit. I think going into last week they were like top five in luck in Ken Palm. Obviously they were a good team. It didn't feel like they were as good as the record indicated, and uh, certainly last week kind of was a little bit of a humbling one for the Gamecocks. Yeah, they were hanging around, you know, in the 70s in terms of the Kim Palm ratings, despite being, you know, 21 and four. Auburn already with that fourth SEC loss, they're not in four. So yeah, if Tennessee can beat them in Knoxville, that pretty much eliminates them. You mentioned about, you know, Tennessee's rivals, Kentucky and Florida. They kind of hold the key in terms of Tennessee making up some ground here. Alabama has to play them three times. Home and away with Florida and at Lexington. What do you think that record is for Alabama, who Tennessee is chasing for the SEC championship? What do you think their record is in that three-game stretch against Florida and Kentucky? My my initial thought would be two and one, um, which would put you know all the pressure on Tennessee to need to win that game in Tuscaloosa. I think it's possible they could go one and two. I would even throw they play out Ole Miss too, and you sure. know I think they would win that game. But I think that's certainly a losable game too. Um, so, you know, my, again, my initial instinct is to say they lose one game, but when you, you start looking at the schedule as a whole with Ole Miss on there too and Tennessee, it feels like 14-4 and four is more likely. But obviously, Tennessee would play a very, very big part in that uh, of trying to get them knocked down to 14-4. and four. Here's an idea for you on RockyTopInsider.com, Ryan Schumpert. I need you to track down the biggest Tennessee-Alabama basketball games of all time because I think we might be headed for the biggest one on Saturday, March 2nd. Feels like that one might be the biggest one in history. Uh, I think you're right, especially you know, look at two teams that will be in the top ten almost certainly in the SEC championship stakes. I don't know. I know Bama had some good teams in maybe the early Bruce Pearl years, but I can't remember any of those games being nearly that big. I think, I think you might be on to something. Yeah, I think last year's might have been the biggest one when Alabama was ranked number one and Tennessee yeah. took them out. So I, Th- that I, was that, earlier in the season. Like the SEC uh, race think, wasn't necessarily at the same point. And there was the SEC was at the semifinals of the tournament. The SEC yeah, uh, back tournament. Yeah, back to the Keon and Jaden year. Yeah, uh, the first year Alabama won the SEC with Oates. Yeah, so I mean that that one's up there as well. But I feel like this one that that's looming on March second is bigger than the one last year. I agree. Sure. Yeah, no doubt. And again, that was a big game because of the fact that Alabama was number one. I want to say Tennessee was number 10. But even with Tennessee winning that game, 
you know, Alabama was still a lock to win the SEC. And like you said, I think that was early-ish in February, not, you know, final two weeks of the regular season with, with all the implications. So it was a big game from Tennessee's standpoint. It was a rivalry game, so it was a big game from Alabama. But that just felt kind of more like a normal big regular season game where I think this one in Tuscaloosa is going to feel much bigger than really any regular season game, you know, hardly ever, ever feels. Okay. Let's talk a little about Vandy because it felt so good. Um, what, what was your biggest takeaway? Was it seeing some of the, the elder statesmen get right? You know, again, Josiah's been playing well, but Santee, we needed to see a game like that from him for sure. Um, Was it that? Was it the freshmen getting a lot of minutes? I know Coach Barnes was kind of talking about how he felt like those guys had earned some time, and so that's good. Or was there something else for you that was a bigger takeaway, Ryan? Well, my biggest takeaway might have just been how terrible Vanderbilt was. (laughs) And, you know, I I think Richard G. West got some people yesterday with a Stackhouse Fire tweet. And, you know, I usually find myself wondering how in the world he still gets people, but Vanderbilt looks so bad, I, I understood why people were ready to see a Stackhouse fired uh, tweet yesterday. But from the Tennessee side of it, you know, I think it was probably Vescovy, and, and not just the fact that he played well. It was kind of a quick trigger, trigger he had shooting the ball. I mean, he's been a little tentative, and I felt like Arkansas was one of the more extreme versions of that uh, earlier in the week. So for him to come out, shoot the ball well, be really aggressive, I thought stood out. And then it just kind of, as a whole from Tennessee, it, it furthered my belief that you know Tennessee's going to be at its best offensively when they're moving the ball a lot and they're getting everybody involved. That this offense is a lot better because of Dalton Connect and because he can be a little bit of a slump buster. Uh, but Tennessee at its best, it's getting a lot of assists. It's moving the basketball. It's playing not as much pick and roll. Uh, a lot of off ball screening and off ball movement. And man, it felt like in that first half there were a lot of possessions Tennessee didn't hardly dribble and they were getting really good shots. It, it was a lot of fun to watch. I just couldn't quit thinking about how Vanderbilt used to matter in yeah. college basketball. Like that, that it kind of made me—I don't want to say stat, sad, but it made me nostalgic just because that rivalry used to be a lot of fun. And now yeah, it's it did. Just nothing. You know, growing up in Nashville, like that was always the the game I would go to. The game at, at Vanderbilt and those Kevin Stallings teams were always good. And and the landscape of the SEC has changed. Where I don't think. Vanderbilt's just going to easily be one of the top teams in the conference, but there's still no reason they can't be regularly competing to make the NCAA tournament and making the NCAA tournament more years than that. They should be relevant in basketball, and, man, it feels like it's a long time since they have been. I was going to say, Ryan, how old were you when Billy McCaffrey was, like, conference player of the year? Like two or three. I don't <laughs> I don't remember it, so real, real young. I mean, that those. my point in that is those were those were also some fun Vanderbilt teams. They predate you guys, but, I mean, they, they were they were one of those teams that in college basketball, not just the SEC, that you did not want to play. They were they were just they were tough, moved the ball around. It was McCaffrey, Barry Goheen, all these guys. They were uh, – it is sad to see that. It's nice to beat up on them, but it's bad for the conference when you see him playing this poorly. Yeah, definitely. You know, the Shane Foster, A.J. Ogilvie, those yep. were the kind of teams that, that I remember. And, and certainly Shane Foster and, and Chris Lawson, I think both a little bit ahead of their time in, in college basketball, just how elite shooters uh, they were. Well, looking forward, I, I took Tennessee last night to win the SEC title. I do think that with the way Kentucky and Florida are playing right now that I do think they can beat Alabama. I do think Tennessee matches up well. 
what number do you think Tennessee needs to get to to, to make that happen? What number does Tennessee need to get to down the stretch uh, to win the SEC? I think 14-4 and four probably gets them a share. Uh, there's a chance Alabama could go 15-3 and three and you don't get anything, but I think 14-4 and four probably gets a share. And 14-4 uh, and four beating Alabama gives you at least an outside chance of winning it outright, um, but uh, I have a hard time. I think the path is going to be very difficult to Tennessee winning outright, but still a very good chance for them to get a share. Yeah, it feels like a share, but like Tennessee does seem set up pretty well to win any tiebreaker with Alabama when you look at the seeding tiebreakers. It does seem like Tennessee has that in hand at least. Yeah, certainly. Obviously, it, it, the worst are going to split the head-to-head matchups and you know, in this scenario, Tennessee does what they need to do to get the 14 and 4. They're probably going to have a win against Auburn, uh, another win against Kentucky and kind of have Obviously, they've already beaten Florida in their one game. They're going to have a good record against those other top teams in the standings. Uh, so, I think probably, uh, you know, obviously Tennessee hasn't done it to, to date, but a good chance for Tennessee to be the one seed, one seed in Nashville for the SEC tournament. I mean, the way they're playing right now feels like the double bye is almost a lock. I mean, you know, things could get sideways. I don't see it happening. Um, but I uh, – I'm just we're really intrigued by who else gets those double buys. We think Auburn for sure and Alabama and Tennessee, but who gets that fourth one is going to be it's going to turn out to be a a, a really interesting thing to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, Florida's just been playing so well that it feels like they're kind of the easy answer. But I think they're right; they're tied with Kentucky, um, and Kentucky's got a hard schedule the rest of the way. But man, to see them go go win at Auburn when you know the talent that they have on that team, it's. It's hard not to think that they, uh, they'll be right in the thick of that race as well. All right, so Tennessee's got at Missouri and home for A&M. Feels like a slam dunk 2-0 week. Agree or yeah. disagree? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, we'll talk to you next week, Ryan. You got anything else on the way out, Bob? No, that's it, man. Ryan, appreciate your time as always, buddy. Yeah, I enjoyed it as always. We'll talk to you guys next week. RockyTopInsider.com. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you Monday. 2-0 seems like a pretty easy bet. He's been pretty good at projecting these upcoming records, though. He's got a good grip, a good grasp of what you know Tennessee is going to do, the vibe of the team. The one question I didn't ask him was back to baseball. Is it Billy Bats or Billy Barrels? I saw Billy Barrels. I'm all in on Billy Barrels. I like Billy Barrels. That's that. what yeah. I saw, too. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what uh, – Simo called him that. Okay. So, if you figure if that's what the team's calling him, then that's what we got to call him. Not only does he have a good bat, he, he's getting barrel on the on the ball. That's what you want. Got some strong nicknames to start off. What Pe- we got? Peebs and Billy Barrels. Those well, don't forget Uncle Chrissy. Uncle Chrissy, yeah. Don't forget Uncle Chrissy. <laughs> Uncle Chrissy. <laughs> that's just yours, though, right? Yeah, that's it, not a, it'll catch on. I'm waiting, for one, catch on. I'm waiting for one of the players to say, yeah, we call Stamos Uncle Chrissy. <laughs> I don't know if I have the same uh, reach inside of the baseball program, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I got, I got Brian Niedermeyer known as Moose single-handedly. All right, that was just really? me getting that into existence. All right, so just give it time, Uncle Chrissy. I, I need, I need Stamos to, to be a big factor here, and we'll get it off the ground. Hey, the other takeaway was the last SEC player. Now, was Shane Foster? I think he might have been a co-SEC player of the year. I was going to say. I hated that guy. The, I was going to say the last SEC player of the year was when Chump was two or three years old, but I don't think that's true. I think Foster got co-player co of the year. I never understood how his name was Shane, 
did uh it was S- it was yeah. s-h-a-n how, how do you get shane out of that i'd call him shan yeah did, I, I don't understand it i still don't get it how is that shane was john jenkins ever an sec player of the year that was kind of the guy of like my childhood i hated him too yeah, yeah dude could shoot yeah man. he could shoot the lights out i feel it. like that was the last time vanderbilt tennessee mattered was john jenkins he called me a good shooter at vandy basketball camp when i was growing up i nice. like that one really? yeah yeah do you think he was just telling everybody that? or I don't know. He's like, I like your shot, man. I was like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Me at like eight years old, love that compliment, you know? Oh, I was like, sure. oh, that's cool. That's when Sam started his climb to be. You were getting the the wrist into the, you are mm-hmm. snapping the wrist? Yeah, really getting into the cookie jar. Getting into the cookie jar. Jenkins huh? played in the NBA for a little bit, right? He did. Hawks, Mavericks, Grizzlies, I'm pretty sure all three of them. I saw one of my buddies, like he's a Vandy fan, so he reposted it, but he's still playing in the G League. Oh, really? He's like doing pretty well, apparently. God, that's yeah. crazy, man. That's got to be weird, though. That's, that's like, a grind. That's like, uh, that's like me playing with young guys where they're <laughs> looking at me, going, "Hey, man, what are you doing here? Uh, I wonder how long you. What's your shelf life in the G League? You must really love the game if you're going to keep trying to play there. But also, like, don't want to like live abroad. Yeah, because you can make more money overseas, I guess. Yeah, I but he's like, like oh, I'm more. just going to be here in case anybody needs me. Yeah, 32 years old is not the time to be in the. In the G League, really? No. Yeah. <laughs> I do miss Vanderbilt being somewhat relevant, though. Like, I mean, cause I, don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe if they were good again, I would have that hate back for them. But I remember that for a while they were touting, like, themselves. Like, we're the kind of the Duke of the SEC yeah. in basketball. It's like, no, yeah. not, not so much. I do miss the hatred, though. Some kind of fun about playing at the, you know, at Memorial, just like the weird court. You know, it's going to be some kind of strange game that at least gets you interested. You ever been to a game there? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I went to one. It yeah. was I actually enjoyed it, but it's weird. Maybe I wouldn't like it as a regular fan there. If That's you sit in the right place, I think it's decent. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't ever been. Yeah, I've been to a decent amount just growing up there. But hmm. hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three with some winners and losers of the weekend. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Ever been the coach who realized the team?